All right, this is the penultimate Blair and Barker before our winter break. What's that mean? Second to last day? Why don't you just say that? I don't know. It's Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker. <laughs> God, it's a great start. <laughs> it's, a, it's not. Whenever I start talking about a player and the first thing out of my buddy's mouth is war, I... Uh, we we had a rather we did not spirited debate about Buster Posey and his Hall of Fame candidacy. Buster Posey expected to announce expected to announce that he's going to retire today. His manager Gabe Kapler will join us at eleven thirty, uh, and this and not just to talk about Buster Posey, but also a couple of really important initiatives that Gabe Kapler is is part of. Um, and of course, if you've been following the news out of the NHL lately. Uh, Topics such as inclusion and creating a safe space for athletes mm-hmm. uh, are very much at the forefront of discussions, and 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 Gabe Kapler is putting it at the forefront of yep. discussions uh, in Major League Baseball, baseball in general as well. So we look forward to that chat, and we will ask him about Buster Posey, who of is course. going to be into the hall, is, is destined to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Carlos Pena joined us at 10.30. Scott Crawford, Director of Operations with the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. They'll let anybody in. Busy. Canadian Baseball Who? Hall of Fame. I'm not in. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's a, <laughs> oh, because you're in. Yeah, well. Uh, anyhow, Scott Crawford joins us. We'll talk about their virtual uh, virtual induction ceremony that will take place on Tuesday, November 16th. And, uh, and I'm just, they won't let anybody in. It requires a great deal. I, you know, I didn't want to, I realized as soon as I said it, that I, I I probably insulted this year's class and I'm not because all of them are worthy. I'm just saying that in the past, sometimes they've lowered the bar for some of their, give yourself a little credit. You work hard. I do give myself some of the things out of your mouth sometimes doesn't make kind of sense when it comes to war and best players in baseball. But other than that, you've earned it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot to talk. The, I mean, the Alex Anthopoulos he hadn't even taken his follow-up COVID test, and there were a ton of free agents. Yeah. Of course, everybody filed for free agency. That That's no big deal. A ton of free agents. The Detroit Tigers make, made a trade uh, getting Tucker Barnhart, the catcher from the Cincinnati Reds. And we talked about this. Folks, keep an eye on the Tigers. Tigers. Tigers are on the verge of being a really good team, and I will just tell you right now, they are going to get at least one of the big-name free agents out yep. there. I think they're going to blow the doors off. Carlos Correa. It's just my thinking. Uh, but uh, the Tigers making an early move, getting an established catcher. And the flip side of that is now people are looking at the Cincinnati Reds and wondering, okay, they do have payroll pressure, according to their general manager. Might this be the time to, I don't know, look at a guy like Joey Votto? Or, I mean, how, how, how much do the Cincinnati Reds want to, want to back up the truck? And uh, we know that you know, Nick Castellanos... Uh, just exercised his opt out as well. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the Reds are very much a team in transition. They got some players I'd take in the Jays. They got some pitchers I'd take in the Jays. We have plenty of time, plenty of time to uh, to, to talk about that. Uh, do you want? What do you do? You want to talk about free agency and 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 the trade, the offseason stuff right now, or do you want to go right into Buster Posey and why he should be in the Hall of Fame? We we, we should leave the Buster Posey to the eleven o'clock hour. Right. Then we have Gabe coming on eleven thirty. Is that what it is? Eleven right. yeah, thirty. Yeah, yeah. And then we so got we can, that's genius because we got Scott Crawford. Buster Posey. Buster Posey so, yes. should go into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Absolutely, Fame as well. Absolutely. Why not? I, I would put him in the <laughs> Canadian <laughs> Baseball. You Hall. should. You're a good salesman. You should sell it. Barker doesn't believe that Buster I did, Posey's I did a not Hall of Famer. Say, I it's did not the stupidest say argument that. I've ever I, heard in my life. I did not did say not. that. You're putting words you into my mouth. You said Jorge Posada I said, was a better catcher I said than if him. I'm Jorge that's P- just a joke. 
gosh, boy. So you come on here and start saying things like that, and that's not true. I, I ask you why you thought that Buster Posey was a shoe-in, and, you and s- the first thing out of your mouth is Jorge Posada's never been a six-war player. That's the never first thing that. out of your mouth. So, yeah, I had a little – it peeled my ears back a little bit, and I had a little something to say about that, but I'm with you. He's a Hall of Famer. But it's there's if you're Jorge Posada and the numbers that you put up, the many amount of years that you played, and you got four percent of the vote to get in the Hall of Fame, and everybody's talking now that Buster Posey, which he'll be a Hall of Famer, but there's some people saying he's a shoe in. If you're Jorge Posada, you probably are going in a dark room and yelling and, and screaming at at things just because doing it in New York and putting oh. up the numbers that he put up, it's a thing. It is a oh, thing, God. and the position that he played, I'm. I'm a Posada fan. That's just me. Everybody's got their opinions about baseball players that they've seen play. It's hard playing a lot. Anyhow, we'll talk about Buster Posey in the 11 o'clock. So hour. you hate Jorge Posada. I don't hate Jorge basically Posada. What you're trying no, to I don't say. hate Jorge Posada at all. You do. I don't hate Jorge Posada. First of all, it'll depend on the ballot. Right, it's like every Hall of Fame ballot. It'll depend who else is on there. If it's a weak the ballot, Posey you're talking about. Yeah, if it's a weak ballot, he may get more votes than other because there are people out there we who could, think that. Let me. There are people out there who think they have to use all their ten votes, which is just stupid. To me, you look at a guy and you say, "Is he a Hall of Famer? Isn't he a Hall of Famer?" Period. I like a Buster Posey. Three World Series rings. Posada's got four. MVP award. Superb defensive catcher. Numbers compare very favorably to Bill Dickey. 18, no 18, 18 and 19 year. He had, he had down year 20. He didn't play this year. He had a, he had a solid year, not an outstanding year. He had a solid year. He had over 300. I'm with you. He's a hall of famer. 302 is a catcher. hit 302. Posada played what? Four or five more years. Than he did had 125 more York. homers and he should have had, had more hits, had he, more RBI. He played, on the best, he played in one of the best teams had, in baseball. But he had a six war. Well, yeah. So he wasn't as good. There's, there's it was, def- e- it there's, was easier. Your definition of a yeah. of a Hall of Fame player sometimes is a different definition than mine is. Yeah, mine's right. <laughs> so we are into the most exciting time of the year in baseball. Now that we got all that crap out of the way, all, the, all the actual games, all the World Series, and all all that junk's gone. Now we're into the now we're into the fun stuff. Now we're into free agency and and CBA negotiations and and, and trades and. All sorts of good stuff. I like two out of the three of those. The CBAs. That's a tough list, and that's a tough talk. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that till December 2nd. December 1st. December. Sure. At, at that point, we'll have an idea. Either there'll be a new agreement, or there won't be a new, a new agreement. And if there's no new agreement, then... We're going to have a whole different conversation. Exactly. And my guess any, is... Any chance, any chance that doesn't happen? That we have a whole different conversation? I, I No, I don't think there'll be an agreement by it. But I don't know. That's just my gut. It, based on the fact that when it comes to baseball labor, even though we haven't had a stoppage for a long time, I still assume the worst. Uh, I think we're likely going to have a period of real tension. I don't think, I could be wrong, mm. I don't think we're going to see a lockout. I, and and let's say, yeah. first of all, for, forget the talk. The, there cannot be a strike. I'm with you. No, there can't be. I, the, the players are in no position to strike right now. There can't be a strike. If there is a stoppage at this point in the year, it will be because the owners 
the owners uh, have locked out the big, players. Big picture, viewership of the World Series was a great, and I'm assuming that that money lost from owners because of COVID is yeah. a big deal. A couple of things. Actually, viewership for the World Series yeah. was not horrible. Yeah, well, it was a great game six, I know, was, I think, the worst game six ever seen or something. No. Over 11 million. Yeah, yeah. It no. Was. If you look, if you, well, f- here's a couple of things. First of all, the TV market now isn't what the TV market was 10 years that's, ago. That's a good point. Yeah. If you look at, and Maury Brown of Forbes did a great job breaking this down, World Series games on average are still the most watched events on TV the night that they're on, with the exception of the nights when they go head-to-head with the NFL. In terms of sports events, the average viewership was better than the NBA Finals, better than the NHL Finals. Again, it's a different market. It's a different market than the NFL. It's a we all know about this. It's the regional sport, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. throughout the idea that, that TV is that much of an issue, what is an issue is that there are a lot of teams that are still paying their sponsors for games lost as a result of COVID-19. That is a real issue. There's still a lot of make-weights going. So anyhow, uh, but yeah, I, I look, I, I, there's too much at stake. Um, as long as the owners, it, every collective bargaining i remember talking to donald fear about this every collective bargaining session every collective bargaining season starts with one thing will the owners be stupid enough to mention the word salary cap Mm -hmm. or will they realize that there are many ways of having a salary cap without calling it a salary cap as long as as long as somebody locks up jerry reinsdorf and throws away the key and nobody mentions those two words, salary and cap, I think they'll get an agreement. It's going to be tense. There will be a time, I predict, where we look at it and think that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. The question to me is, what impact does that have in the offseason player market? I find it interesting. I find it interesting that the Tigers have made a deal already. I find it interesting. And I, and. Let's yeah, see. Those, let's, those are, let's see what the Reds do. Are the Red in the, are the Reds in a hurry to unload payroll? Which would, if I was a baseball fan, make me think that maybe they they got an inkling that something not real good is going to happen. Uh, but you know, let's see. Let's see if anybody jumps in one of these free agents early, and let's see what happens with contract offers. Castellanos left that, that for me, if I'm running the ribs, that, that the reds that throws up a red flag saying that they were all in the last couple of years, yeah. the people they signed and it didn't work out. And that now you, 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 you reboot. If you, if you have to punt a little bit now, the tigers move that, that what's that? That's a $7 million option. It's not like they're spending 300 million, right. which is what they're going to do. It'll be interesting to see when the first domino of the short stops go that's that will correct. be the big one that's because they're all going to correct demand big time money and and maybe not trevor story because the year he's coming off of and, and the injury and and correa thinks going to be interesting too for years for me with the back issue that that mm-hmm. will be i don't know about you but we uh, he will be asking for for 10 years if you will you give him 10 years because of the issues he's had in the past with back and you know it's going to get worse the older he gets yeah the first order of business for teams we mentioned that players have already uh, filed for free agency. The first order of business for teams is to decide whether or not they will extend qualifying offers to their free agents. Uh, offers are due on Sunday. That's this Sunday at 5 Eastern time. And then the players have 10 days to decide whether or not to accept. Now, let's use the Blue Jays as an example. Now, first of all, I'll explain the qualifying offer. The qualifying offer this year is $18.4 million. 
that is the qualifying offer, and that's based on a mathematical formula. So if you are a team and you want compensation for losing a draft pick, you have to offer them $18.4 million. But there's a catch. Um, and, and players, of course, can accept the qualifying offer. Now, it's been in effect since 2012. 96 players have been given qualifying offers, and since then, only 10 have accepted it. One of them, of course, was Marcus Stroman, who did it last year. But there's a catch here in that there are groups of players who can't be extended an offer. You can't be extended a qualifying offer if you've received one before, and you can't be extended a qualifying offer if you did not spend the entire season with the same team. Luckily for the Blue Jays and their big free agents, it doesn't matter. Marcus Semyon has not had a qualifying offer extended to him, so the Jays will extend a qualifying offer to Marcus Semyon. Uh, Robbie Ray has not had a qualifying offer extended to him before. The Jays will extend a qualifying offer. Steven Matz hasn't had a qualifying offer before, so the Jays will extend them a qualifying offer. Now there is a chance, there's a chance, and this is this is part of the, the calculation, there's a chance the player looks at it and does what Marcus Stroman did last year and go, you know, $18 million to play in New York on a decent team and play my value up? Yeah, I might do that. Steven Matz might take that. Steven Matz might take it. Yeah. So the question you're asking yourself for the Blue Jays, do you think Steven Matz is worth $18.4 million? Now he's, you know, each war is worth about eight and a half to $9 million. He's a two and odd. Way. He, $18 million is the market rate for Steven Matz right now. It's the, the question for me, if you're the Blue Jays, is one, first of all, do you want him? Do you think that what you have is what you're going to get? Two, if you don't get him, can you replace what he gave you but cheaper? So that's the question. Can you find someone else who's going to give you what Steven Matz did cheaper? You're going to say, oh, of course you can. Again, that's a calculation that the Blue Jays will have to make. So there you go. The Jays will, if they don't re-sign these guys, the Jays are going to end up coming out of this with some pretty decent, uh, some pretty decent draft picks in return. I look. There's no chance that that Marcus Semyon and Robbie Ray accept the qualifying no offer. Chance. They're looking for five year contracts. Marcus Semyon went to Scott Boris. You don't accept the qualify. You don't go to Scott Boris, and then the first thing you say to Scott is, "Hey, thanks, thanks for <laughs> representing me. Let's go get that qualifying <laughs> offer." But that is the first deadline we're facing right now. So theoretically. You know, it's possible that within that 10 days from Sunday, Stephen Matz may say to the Jays, I like it here. I like working with Pete Walker. I've proven I can pitch in the East. Yeah. I I, I want this. Uh, that, well, you're, he's making more money if he does that. I, I, if I just, it's me, I extend him an I, offer just because. I, I extend him an offer because I don't know if I'm going to get any better in the market. And you know what? I can trade. Or, if, or, if it doesn't work out, I can trade Stephen Matz and pick or can up some you, or money. Or can you split that 18.4 and a half and give – Get you two bullpen arms with that. I, well, boy, it's well, you, you gave a lot of thought there, Kevin. If you're gonna, well, here, if you're gonna do that, you better have identified those bullpen arms already. Absolutely, I'm don't, sure they have. I'm sure they got ideas who they want. Don't not bring Stephen Matz back and go. Okay, guys, eighteen million. Let's go spend it. Huh? That's I like a- the idea of Barrios because I don't think Rob. Let's assume Robbie Ray doesn't come back here. Barrios, Manoa, Matz. Uh, Stripling, you can throw in there. Are you? He's he's going to be your fifth guy. That that revolving it's door kinda, fifth guy. That's 
you know, you're 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 going to have to replace Robbie Ray at some point if Robbie Ray doesn't come back. And and that's the other part of this question to kind of dovetail off what you said. Maybe it's not just do we spend nine million dollars on two relievers. Maybe you say, look, Robbie Ray doesn't isn't coming back. If we don't sign Steven Matz, that's eighteen million that we have if we want to try to replace Robbie Ray, mm-hmm. or it's eighteen million we have to make a trade, bring in somebody who isn't a free agent but might be making ten million, and then we've got not you know eight or nine million left to go after to go after an arm. But I, I'm I'm saying if I'm the Jays, I I offer Steven Matz. Don't don't forget to you can't re- rely on Ryu either. We saw what Ryu looked that's like at the point. end of the season and. Can you count on that? So basically, you got two guys going in. You got Barrios Manoa. Yeah, exactly. Nate and Pearson, God, is he going to start? Have God no love idea. Alec Manoa, but Alec Manoa is going to be going into a second year next sure. year. Things change. That's a great question. The Stephen Matz thing. I, I, I think that's, I'm not real sure what I'd do. I think it's a really, I, I think it's a really complicated, really, really tough question uh, for the Blue Jays. And by well, the way, tomorrow we're going to be taking your calls tomorrow. Mm-hmm. On uh, on the Jays offseason. That's a good question. What would you do with Stephen Matz? And you'll we'll end up. I'm sure we'll end up going back and forth on it. But as I said, there's so. But that's the first deadline to worry about. All the other stuff, you know, the CBA and that December first, December second. That's when you really want to zero in on it. If there is no CBA in place, and baseball puts on a transaction freeze which means no moves can be made until the CBA is is negotiated, which is a bargaining ploy by owners, and it's entirely within their right, mm-hmm. I would think that means there's a chance you wouldn't have any winter meetings with major league teams at it. could be no point. If we can't if we can't make trades or can't sign free agents, there wouldn't be any point to the winter meetings. So t- that's kind of the – that's the big deadline right now. You're going to hear a lot about CBA and everything – December 1st, December 2nd, that's really when the that's really when the rubber meets the road. And you know, we talked to both Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro at the end of the season, and I asked them, both of them, because I think it's a big issue, <clears throat> I said, given the fact that we don't know what the landscape is going to look like in the new CBA, <clears throat> could you make a big commitment to a player right now? Like if, Marcus, if Scott Boris called up Mark Shapiro today and said, guys, let's get this done. Let's get this done. Here's what Marcus wants. I asked Mark and Ross, do they have the support from ownership to do that? In other words, give out a big contract, not knowing what the new CBA is going to look like, not knowing, frankly, whether or not we're going to have 162 games next year. And they both said, yes, they believe they have the support from ownership to do that. And Mark's point was, I'm sorry, Ross's point was, look, Whatever happens in the CBA isn't necessarily going to impact the free agent market. Marcus Semyon is going to get what he's going to get regardless of what the new CBA looks like. It's going to cost X for this player regardless of what the new CBA brings in. What the new CBA may end up doing is you may end up seeing players, because I know the, the Players Association wants this, you may end up seeing players get arbitration after two years instead of the current three years or the mathematical Mm -hmm. formula. You may see something like the NHL has where you have two free agencies. You have a restricted free agency and an unrestricted free agency. So for the Blue Jays, this CBA is going to have more of an impact when it comes to addressing what you do with Vladdy, what you do with Bo, 
what you do with Teoscar Hernandez than it is your free agents. Yeah, and if you're a GM of a team that's going for it, you can't wait around. There's, there's no, you can't wait till December just because there's only so many good well, players to yeah, go around. Actually, well, actually, you, you can, can right, so, because this, this is not. Like, here's what happens. Because I went through this in '94, '95, in '94, sorry, '94, '95 when the players struck, and if you get an agreement a week before spring training. You get a flurry of transactions. You get a flurry of signings. And that, frankly, that frankly leads to a glut in the market. It leads to a lot of teams trying to hurry up and make decisions. Uh, I mean, there are two ways to look at it. There are two ways to look at it. If you're a general manager, could you get, could you get a better bargain in free agency, the closer to spring training, you're the Blue Jays. Let's say something happens to the CBA, and all of a sudden, you got a triple Vladdy Jr. salary next year. Yeah. Well, you got to wait until you see whether or not that's going to happen before you can go out and give 150 million dollars to Marcus Semyon, don't you? This is what I'm saying. That mm. it's the whole timing aspect of this, and it happened in in, in 94th Montreal, 94th Montreal Expos. They gave away Grissom. Ken Hill said goodbye to uh, Larry Walker. They gutted their team. Yeah, puts a lot of pressure on GMs and ownership to pony up, basically. Exactly. Re- really quick in a hurry. And yeah, you know yeah, what happens you when like you do things hours. in a hurry? Let's, let's go, let's you go, You know let's what happens go. when you do things in a hurry? You, you make mistakes. There it you is. overcommit, you make mistakes. A thousand percent. I, so that's, that's where we are. But I, I did find it interesting, and I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping there are teams that are really aggressive out of the gate. And I did find it interesting that the Tigers moved in Tucker Barnhart. And I'm sure that's a deal that... Mm-hmm. That sounds to me very much like something that must have been discussed at the trade deadline. And both sides said, you know, let's let's revisit. This. Looks like Tigers. Let's looking revisit that, this. At Tigers looking at that division, going, <laughs> we sure. had we had a couple more impact players on there. We can make a run at this thing. Absolutely, yeah. it does. The Tigers, if you look at the Tigers after May, they were not the worst team in baseball. Yeah, it's and free, a, it's free age, and easy. That's for me. That's a little cloudy. Some players, young guys, don't have a, a lot of expectations. Just go out there and let it eat. Yeah, on both sides of the ball, and everything. Though, they, they got really good players. It's hard to do that June, July, August, and September to go out there and let it eat for four months. Yeah, they're not in very good division either. I'm with you. I'm, I think that if they do, you know, they go out and get one of the big time shortstops. You, you had a couple uh, of experienced arms. You know, Verlander coming back. What would they give him to come back there? Uh, this mm. is uh, MLB.com. I'm going to continue this this discussion on the qualifying offer because it is the first thing in front of us. They've done a terrific, a terrific breakdown. These are players who can't receive a qualifying offer because they were traded within the 2021 season. So these are guys who can't get a qualifying offer. Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Starling Marte, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Nelson Cruz, Eduardo Escobar, Josh Harrison, Yan Gomes. I might look at Yan Gomes if I'm the Jays. Max Scherzer, Kendall Graveman. So you... Those players cannot receive qualifying offers. If you sign those players, you do not have to. The, the, the team that loses them doesn't get a compensation pick. All right. These are players who have previously received a qualifying offer. In other words, they can't get a qualifying offer this year. Marcus Stroman, Kevin Gossman, Kenley Jansen, Zach Greinke, Alex Cobb, Craig Kimbrell, Nelson Cruz. They can't get qualifying offers. This is from MLB.com. Players who are all but certain to receive qualifying offers and decline. Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Marcus Samian, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, 
Clayton Kershaw, Robbie Ray, Justin Verlander, John Gray. <laughs> so those are the players who, and, and these are players who will, will receive and decline if they opt out first. And that was Martinez, Castellanos, and, and Arenado. We saw mm-hmm. that. And they uh, have also listed players that uh, uh, will, it, that it's not clear whether they would instantly reject an offer. Carlos Rodon, Noah Syndergaard, Michael Conforto, Brandon Belt, Eduardo Rodriguez. So those are guys that they're not MLB.com isn't necessarily certain that they would that they would accept the the, the offer. And they've listed Stephen Matz as a guy who would go either way, along with Raisel Iglesias, Alex Wood, and Alex Disclafani. Uh, so there you go. If, if Raisel Iglesias doesn't do it, I mean, we, we've already talked about it. That's that's my bullpen arm number one target if I'm the Blue Jays. Yeah, without question, it's my number one target for the bullpen. But there you go. Lots of big names out there. If you are a Blue Jays fan, the one answer to all the questions Mark and Ross were asked during their media availabilities that I think is the most salient was Mark essentially saying, hey, we may not be able to re-sign our free agents, but we have to make the team better. So essentially Ross's marching orders are this. Okay. Maybe you don't re-sign Robbie Ray. Maybe you don't re-sign Marcus Semyon. But the team has to be better. So if you lose those guys, if they go elsewhere, you know, let's go. Get at it. You've got to make the team better. That's not going to be the easiest thing to do. Uh, yeah, The more... For me, is the better. You get you give yourself more options. The what ifs. We talked about this. The bullpen last year, because of the signing they had with George Springer, they weren't able to go out and get the quality or the quantity of arms out of the bullpen to take care of what ifs. For me, going into this season, it has to be what ifs. What if Jordan Romano goes down? Then what? You got to have a what if out there. Nate Pearson, what's he doing? Is he an impact arm out of the bullpen, or is he going to be your fifth starter, fourth starter? There, there's a. That's why the Steven Matz thing, when you said it out loud, I didn't put a ton of thought into it until I actually heard you say it out loud. That's a big decision. That's a big decision. It is. It is. It is. What he gave you last year, how he ended the season, the confidence, every everything that Pete was a selling, he was a buying. Look, and he can buy some more. Yeah. Look, think about what everybody said Steven Matz was when he came here. Yeah, people thought he was kind of a Kind of a weak-ass guy in the mouth. Absolutely. Guy was going to melt down. Can't get out of his own way. Can't get out of his own way. Can't get out of his own head. Guy had a pretty good career pitching in the American League East. I didn't see any of that. He he reinvented himself in the East. There were a couple of wobbles where, frankly, where I looked at him and said, okay, this is where where he crumbles. This This is where he, like, just melts down into a pile of goo on the mound. Didn't happen. No. Didn't happen. And he's... You know, we know that he missed time with COVID nineteen as well. Came back from that, so it it is a it is a fascinating decision for the Blue Jays and and an interesting decision for Stephen Matz as well. I would lean towards offering him, extending the qualifying offer to him, but it's hard. It's hard to sit here and make an argument either way without knowing what else the Jays have already done. And I think people need to keep in mind, yeah, there were rules about not being able to talk to free agents and not making offers or anything like that. But, I mean, I can tell you, there's there's nothing, 
there is nothing preventing me from calling up Scott Boris and wishing his uh, executive Absolutely. assistant a happy birthday and saying, by, by the way, when I have you on the line, I'm just saying. I, I, Being good at your job. I know it's done. Being good at your job. I know it's Say done. Say it without saying it. I remember when, I remember talking to Alex Anthopoulos one time when uh, Jose, Jose Reyes, I think, did Jose Reyes sign with the, he was with the Mets. The Jays got him from the Mets. When yep. Jose Reyes went to the Mets, I remember Peter Greenberger's agent at, at the winter meetings. I, I was just chatting to him and Alex, just shooting the, you know what? Mm-hmm. And I remember Alex saying to Peter Greenberg, Jose Reyes is one of my favorite players. Does that constitute tampering? No, I don't think so. No. It wasn't meant to be. Ah, I watch TV. I like him. Bingo, exactly. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, Carlos Pena is a 14-year MLB veteran, MLB network analyst. He's got a great, 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 great Twitter handle, Placata. He'll join us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. point of the baseball season as we start the offseason where there are quite frankly more questions than answers as we get ready for free agency and trades of course as we mentioned parker's favorite talk topic collective bargaining how can you not want to hear about that tell you what nothing gets the juices flowing like a bunch of bunch of dudes in suits arguing over billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars nothing gets the juices flowing like that but there are still some lingering questions, I think, from the World Series, which wrapped up uh, with the Atlanta Braves beating the Houston Astros. One of the things, something that both Kevin Barker and myself have talked about, is what the Houston Astros are left with. Carlos Correa will leave as a free agent, Justin Verlander likely go as well. There will, I would imagine, be some pruning as well. I, I, I would think if you're the Astros, you're going to have to address some of your issues. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a rebuild by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you need a shortstop. You need a shortstop. But yeah, I, I would think if you're the Astros, one thing you're doing is you're looking at the fact that the Oakland Athletics are basically blowing up a team, and you're going, well, maybe we got... Maybe we get a little got a little safety net here. But to me, and I think we're both on the same page with this, and I know Carlos Pena, I'm sure our next guest is as well. To me, the big question, the lingering question for, for the Houston Astros, and Carlos, thanks for joining Kevin and myself. You dealt with this on MLB Network. You went into the batting cage to deal with this. The, 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 the lingering question for me about Houston is Alex Bregman. I, I have, you know, we, we, we saw a guy whose body language was different. Then in the past, we saw a guy who was talking about his top hand. We saw a guy who was admitting that he wasn't and didn't feel entirely healthy. I'll just ask you, Carlos, what is Alex Bregman right now? Yeah, that was uh, that was difficult uh, to see him go through those struggles because Alex is one of those guys that I think all of us have gone accustomed to to seeing um, just going, you know, plaque at the from line to line, really, really strong all the way through. And he really couldn't um, hit through the baseball. 
and uh, he was specifically speaking about the top hand. Now I know this uh, uh, very um, it's very personal to me because I got my top hand broken by Cece Sabathia, and, and after that happened, I was never the same. I, I felt like I didn't have the same, um, you know, bat speed and, and ability to get the barrel through the zone. So there's a question there about health. He never really said that it was a health thing, but Carlos Correa said that he got hurt in September, and that is why Alex Bregman couldn't utilize his top hand the way he wanted to. Now, it says there was a wrist injury, which is encouraging because it said, you know, you could tell, hey, this is something that you can get treatment on, and it will get, uh, again, you know, stronger, and it will be back where it needs to be. Um, but there was never really any clarity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what that's why the questions are lingering because if it's just something about getting rest and treatment and then it gets gets back to normal, then that's great news. Uh, unfortunately, if that was the case, you couldn't get well enough, quick enough for the World Series. There were a lot of pitches that I thought he could have driven, and he didn't. So um, even himself uh, admitted to that, where there were hanging sliders that he thought on a healthy or a few years ago he would hit over the fence. So I'm encouraged that it wasn't a broken hand like it was for me and that maybe it's just a wrist issue. And if he gets rest and treatment, he'll be back to normal. Um, But we never got any clarity, which makes me nervous. Like, I don't know what it was. So it, it, it's it's uh, that's why the question mark is still lingering. Carlos, got to ask you that that elbow straight up in the air. He really uses his his top hand's more dominant looks like than his bottom hand. I wasn't that kind of guy. I was a lefty. My my bottom hand was my steering wheel. Did all the work. My my top hand was just following. But a guy that has the back elbow as high as he does on his start, it almost looks like he's trying to punch with his top hand. If he adjusts that, maybe drops his back elbow, lays it you know, down his back a little bit more, would that take pressure off his top hand, make it a little easier for him to, to make solid contact that way? Yes, and I remember you brought that up because that's precisely what he possibly needed to do in the World Series since he needed a quick fix. Instead, he tried to battle through it. You heard him say, I am going to keep both hands in the bat. Um, I just have to keep that in, in, in mind. Well, it doesn't really work because if the top hand is not strong enough, it doesn't matter whether it holds on or it doesn't, the, the point is that you're missing your your force. You're missing the one that gives you the force. But I wouldn't go – if, in, indeed, he could get better, like healthier and stronger as he goes along, then okay, keep the same approach, no problem. But if he needs to change that because it, that the hand will never come back to 100%, then, yes, he's going to have to come up with um, – with, with uh, adjustments, just like the one you just suggested, mm-hmm. to see if he can get his swing right where it needs to be. Bottom hand hitters, and, and you can allude to this, uh, are, are very good about staying inside the ball, staying through the baseball, um, and, and really are able to go the other way with power. Um, they, they, they're not top spinning everything. But top hand guys, if you are off, you will become a top spin type of guy that pulls everything and rolls over everything when you overdo it. And then if you do not have your top hand, 
then you lose the barrel. So this is definitely something that Bregman is going to have to address and have to be honest with himself and say, okay, my top hand is not coming back, or it's a matter of me just getting healthy, getting it stronger, and he can continue to do what he does the way he's always done it. So that is the question that he has to answer, and eventually I hope we had, I hope we had more clarity on it um, because at the end of the day we're speculating because he was never clear on whether he was hurt or what. You know, why did you lose your top hand? Like, what is the answer? Uh, we never got it. What did you make of the Atlanta Braves and their 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 postseason run? I mean, this is a team that you know, we all know the numbers. Uh, you know, facing teams, I, I, I think they, they faced teams that had 32 more wins than they did in total in the regular season. It took them 111 days to get to 500. Uh, you know, they're playing 106-win teams, 95-win teams, 96-win teams, trailed the series once. What do you make of the Braves? And and we know it's hard to repeat in baseball. I'll ask you this, Carlos. Should we expect the Braves to be back next year? No, I mean, it's – I don't. I do not expect them to repeat this. It was one of those seasons that are they were very special – um, because they were able to overcome a lot of obstacles, a lot of injuries. There were some trades made in the deadline that Antopoulos really just ground on. And, and you could ask this, you know, you could ask them directly and say, hey, is this really what you expected to happen? I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, you go out there, you make trades to make your team better, and at the same time, you don't burn yourself with the investments that you're making. Mm. And that's the Rosario. That's Soler right there. That's Duval. that you do not spend a lot in these players, and you kind of just hope that they keep your team together and address the weaknesses, and you keep on competing and battling. Remember, this team was under 500 in the All-Star break. Yeah. I mean, that, that is just mind-boggling to me. Not many teams in the history of baseball have been able to win a World Series um, being 500 or less mid-season. The Braves were, and they won the World Series. But that's the type of team that we should not expect to repeat. I mean, it's, it's difficult to repeat already when you have powerhouses like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, that go out there and win over 100 games. That's, they're, it's difficult for them but the Braves do not look like a team that's going to be at a 100-win ball club when they go ahead and, and, and play again in 2022. So repeating as hard as it is for the Braves is going to be even harder. They had to do it in a very special way. Everything had to line up. If you look at that division uh, for the Phillies, um, you know they were on top, but the Braves knew that the Phillies were weak as well. That weak division, the Mets weren't competing the way they should. So Antopoulos knew this. Thus, he makes, you know, hence he makes these uh, investments that does not burn his pocket, um, this investment that allow him to just maintain and survive the season. And the guys came and balled. They played. They played well above and beyond expectations and their potential um, as a team. And that's why they found themselves in the postseason. When you get into the postseason, these guys went above and beyond. Look at their bullpen. The bullpen became almost unhittable. Um, you know, the Mad Sex of the world um, came in. You know, Will Smith. <laughs> I mean, 
they just outperformed everyone else. That's what happens in the short postseason uh, run that they were on. They were awesome. It was fun to watch. I love stories like this. Um, but if we could go, talking about the Blue Jays, for example, I thought the Blue Jays were better equipped than the Braves for winning a World Series. Yet, look who was able to break through, get the opportunity, and now they're world champions. If you were running a team, would you feel comfortable giving Eddie Rosario a three-year deal? Three-year deal, yes, I would. And, and I, I like short-term deals. And this is the thing. like When you ask me as a former player, mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I want guys to get paid because obviously I want them to, to be prosperous. However, if I was at the top of a ball club making those executive decisions, I would try to be as effective as possible with my investments. I want the biggest dividends, yet I want the smallest investment. So in Eddie Rosario, I would most definitely lock up a player like that because he can do it all. He can uh, um, you know, put the ball in play. He runs around, plays different positions. Um, it's able to get some big hits for you. But I also know that Eddie performed in the postseason in, at a level that I cannot expect out of him in, in a full season. So I would think back to those big years he had in Minnesota where he hit 30 home runs and 100 RBIs and think, am I okay with him hitting, you know, 20-something home runs, you know, and uh, playing different positions, getting on base for me? Yes, I am okay with that. That's what I would need, a three-year deal um, at a pretty solid clip, but yet not burning my pocket. Um, I would most definitely want an A. Rosario in my ball club. Do you think Jordan Alvarez took something away from the World Series that he went, hmm, this is probably not going to work long-term. I need to go off-season work on this. Jordan Alvarez? Yeah. See, the thing is, with, 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 with Alvarez, had an unbelievable ALDS, right? I mean, uh, an ALCS specifically. I mean, he absolutely crushed it was the MVP. But if you look at the pitches that were thrown to Alvarez, the ones that he crushed, they were all in the same zone. We just low and away, low and away. And that's usually what, in a way, right? No, we shouldn't say low. Let's just say out of the plate, away. Um, and that is usually what we as hitters go up to, to, to do. I mean, you, you, you probably did it the same way where it's like, hey, I'm looking fastball, middle away, and I'll react everywhere else. And basically, when you play 162 games, you will get enough tries with pitches out there. And you're going to crush. You're going to get your home runs. And then you're going to get busted inside, and you're not going to hit. Um, but in the long run, you finish with 30 home runs or 20-some home runs. You finish with 100 RBIs, and you're like, wow, that was a great season. You hit 250, and you're like 260. I'm like, wow, great season. And I got paid. I got paid. Why change? In the postseason, you see how quickly that can turn around. Because if pitchers start busting Alvarez in, he wasn't going to hit. Now, the, the, the Red Sox couldn't do it. They all stayed away from uh, Alvarez. The Braves did a better job of pitching inside to uh, Jordan, and Jordan was just pretty much defaulting with his approach and couldn't get to the fastball in. Now, he doesn't hit. It's almost a matter of a pitcher cooperating with us as hitters when hitters are so reactive. Alvarez is a reactive hitter. He needs to make an adjustment because they will pound him in in the future, especially after you watch what happened in the World Series. Carlos, towards the end of the year, I, was, I had a chat with a 
major league GM and we were looking ahead to free agency and we were talking about teams that could surprise. And this person said to me, you know, the team that I'm really keeping an eye on is Detroit because it could be a winnable division. They got a ton of money. They've got some young players. They have, you know, addressed the managing situation with AJ Hinch. And this individual said, I wouldn't be surprised if they are very aggressive out of the gate and go after Carlos Correa. Now, it's obviously he's a free agent. He's going to have to decide where he wants to go. But, but we saw the Tigers already trade for Tucker Barnhart. Do you think that they may be the team that people need to pay particular attention to in this offseason? I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, that, that, that wouldn't surprise me. Like you said, the ownership is very aggressive. They love baseball. Like it's a legit, one of those uh, mm-hmm. um, ownership uh, groups. Uh, well, the, 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 the Illich family, it's, they've always, I play for the Tigers. So yep. I've gone to their house. You know, they usually have that, that, that uh, welcoming party in the beginning of the year where everyone goes and uh, hangs out with them when, when um, Michael Illich was, uh, was, was still with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was extremely involved. So I expect the family to have that type of aggressiveness still and involvement. Um, yes, that's a team that really, last year, when we were watching, we're like, oh, the Detroit Tigers are in a rebuild. But there were times in there during the season where they were playing the best baseball in the league, mm-hmm. if you remember. I don't remember exactly what were the months exactly, but I'm like, wait a second. The best team in the league right now, as far as winning percentages in the month of X, whatever it was, is the Detroit Tigers. And I remember scratching my head. I'm like, oh, my God, they're really good. Then you have all these uh, – uh, we know that their um, farm system is also pretty strong. So that's a team that you could have a foundation of young players that are pretty good, that then you go and add key free agents. And, by the way, they're not afraid of overspending. Yep. Because this is the thing. When we look at free agents – and we're going to be real and talk about what a player deserves, that's very different than what an owner will pay. Because sometimes owners will overpay in order to outbid another ownership or another team, and then you have people criticizing the GM for for paying so much money for this player that's not worth that money. I'm like, wait a second. Sometimes it's not even about that. It's about just getting the player. And mm-hmm. even when they're doing it, writing the check, they know they're overpaying. So when you look at a guy like Carlos Correa, um, the Detroit Tigers most definitely have the money to overpay for him more than you know, the Yankees are there. But would the Yankees go ahead and uh, uh, pay more than the Detroit Tigers? There is a threshold that you don't cross. Uh, but if you're trying to rebuild around a player, uh, Carlos Correa is by no means just a, ba- a baby or a-, a very young player. He's approaching... Um, it's his late 20s, I believe. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that he would be a great addition. And I would not be surprised if the Detroit Tigers say, okay, enough of this quote-unquote rebuild. Let's go ahead and win, especially in the Central, that it's a, a weaker div- division, if, if we may use that word. Yeah. Carlos, really good of you to join us today. Terrific insight, yeah. as always. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Uh, always a pleasure, guys. Take care. That's Carlos Pena. 14-year MLB veteran, MLB network analyst. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, the days of, I think it was Prince Fielder that uh, Scott Boris represented. And Scott Boris essentially went around the GM at the time, got a hold of Michael Illich directly, the late Tigers owner, and Michael Illich, and, and essentially they worked out a deal. And Michael, Michael 
they ended up signing Prince Fielder to a huge contract. Now, didn't work out. Uh, Michael Illich is uh, unfortunately no longer uh, no longer with us, but the Illich family still has control of the team. Uh, Carlos is right; they are they're baseball people. They own the Red Wings as well, mm-hmm. but they are they're baseball people. And I'm I'm telling you, I I looked at what that team did last year, and some of the things AJ Hinch said throughout the years. I I just think they're a team that, and I. Yeah, we can't get inside. I don't know what Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa may want to go to New York, but Carlos, I'm with you. <laughs> Carlos Correa is going to go where he can get the most money Absolutely. in the longest term. And and I'm not saying that's my read on it. And I'm not saying I make some. I'm saying that's exactly what I would do. He's a human being, and that's he's exactly also he's also smart enough to realize that if he plays his cards right, you know, he is obviously he's going to take care. He's he's already taken care of his family. But if he plays his cards right here. He can set himself up, not only you know, not only be part of a winning team and all that, but if he really wants to be part of something special. And I'll say this: if he is at all interested in rehabilitating his his reputation, you go to Detroit and say, "I'm standing up here, and I want to take charge of this team and take this team to the World Series." Mm-hmm. You're going to change the way some people think about you. That's not the driving force. I get that. But if you come from the Houston Astros, given everything that happened with that team in 2017, given the fact that you were really outspoken about all this, you go to Detroit. People yeah. are saying, okay, you got that's you got cojones to do that, man. You're not going the easy way out. You're not joining a team that's ready-made to contend. You're joining a team where you're going to have to do some work. I, I guess for me, it's all about who pays him the most. He'll go wherever the the highest bidder is. Uh, you, if you're the if you're Detroit, you look at that division. Uh, does does Kansas City scare you? Obviously not. Minnesota's taking a step back. The Guardians, who are they? The White Sox, they really scare you. Uh, Long term, you don't think you can stick with the White Sox? You can it's, put, it's, it's it's for me that division is just so winnable every single year. Well, and I, every year, and I, I'll add this as well. And I know up against the clock here. I'll add this very quickly. We've already said Oakland is tearing down. Houston, they're losing some guys. It's not just a matter of winning your division. You look around, suddenly if you're the Tigers, you're saying, why can't we take a shot at the wild card at least? Sure. Because Oakland isn't going to be there. Yeah. Who knows what Houston's going to look like? Mm-hmm. Why can't we take a shot at the wild card? I I, I think the door is really open for the, for the Detroit Tigers to, to make a couple of really bold moves here. And I think that trade of Tucker Barnhart, maybe that's an indication they're going to do that. 